Welcome back to Loathsome Things, your favorite horror movie podcast. My name is John. I uh, have with me today my delightful co-host, co Josh. Josh, well, how are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> it's going quite well. I, uh, I had to take an entire vacation before we uh, covered this movie, but uh, I rested up and, and now I'm ready to go. It's, uh, yeah, it, it, it takes a little pondering, doesn't it? It, it certainly does. <laughs> I did more research for this movie than I've done for anything else, and I still feel out of the loop. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something else. <laughs> yeah. But I'm good, and, and I enjoyed watching it. Uh, this, this wasn't the first time that I'd seen it, but it was the most times that I'd seen it. Right. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I saw it, uh, originally, uh, in the theater when it came out. And uh, and then have seen it several times since because it's just so ridiculous. It's it's pretty amazing, John. Perhaps we should tell the the nice men and women what we're talking about. Dear men and women, we are talking about the 1999 film from Japanese director Miike Takashi. Uh, the film is called Audition. Audition is based on a novel by the author uh, Murakami Ryu, I guess, if we're mm. trying to do the, the, the names in the proper order. Because I'm uh, a nerd. Yeah. And yeah. it's uh, it, it gained quite a bit of notoriety, um, as, as we'll discuss, you know, why, as far as what happens in the film. But it's, it's a uh, sort of a very interesting take on kind of relationships and gender uh through the uh you know uh particular eye of a of a Japanese culture um which you know I think compared to the way that we we view gender here in the US uh, you know some of the some of the the traditions and stereotypes about how men and women interact in Japan I think we find a little bit you know, kind of frightening. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that is, is, is brought out to the fore in this movie. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a Japanese romantic horror film mm -hmm. for gender studies majors, but yeah. also multicultural gender studies majors. So it's, it's a, it's a whole deal. It really is. It's uh packed full of subtext. Um, yeah. But, but it also plays just as a straight horror really. And uh, yeah. it's, 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 it's very well made, um, which is not a surprise. Uh, uh, Takashi has made tons of movies. I forget how many, but um, he's covered all types of genres. Um, he's most known, particularly in the U.S., for probably for this film, but but for his more extreme work, which is saying something because his some of his work, like like Gozu, is really out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize until uh, digging into this that I'd seen a bunch of his movies. Um, I just, I didn't know. I'd seen this um, on your recommendation, actually, back at the store. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually, I hadn't seen this until, like, maybe last year or the year before for the first time. Yeah. Um, but I've seen uh, Blade of the Immortal, which is mm -hmm. super intense. Yeah. Um, 13 Assassins and The Happiness of the Katakuris. Yeah. Um, it's just crazy, and I was looking in. Yeah, you uh, uh, Gozu and uh, Ichi the Killer is him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's just done tons of stuff. Lots of, lots of um, 
uh, he used to do a lot of like Yakuza movies, and mm-hmm. then he's he switched to being more um, eclectic since then. Yeah, he's done. I mean, he's done a little bit of everything, really, and he's incredibly talented. I mean, he's he's able to, you know, create films that that kind of the world encompassed in the film is completely its own. And so you can watch one film and then watch another and, and really not even know it's the same guy that made them because they're just so well, you know, they're just so well put together and self-contained. Yeah. This is uh this is during an ultra prolific part of his career where he was making about six or more movies per year. <laughs> and uh, most of his movies took two weeks to shoot. And so like this one was his drawn out masterpiece because it took him three weeks to shoot this film. <laughs> It took him a whopping twenty-one days to make this movie, <laughs> and uh, and I, I I get what you mean about like the the self compartmentalized. It's part of the thing. Like I I am having a hard time with this movie just because I am not super familiar with Japanese culture. I'm not super familiar with Japanese uh, gender politics and things like that, and so I don't know how much of this is just me projecting. Uh, like American ideas onto it and how much of it is just, you know, me missing the point that's just not there for me. Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's hard to tell the difference really, if you don't know, which I don't. And yeah. so, um, you know, I know that, that women tend to, you know, they, they obviously traditionally take a subservient role to the men and uh, you know, that you see that very much on display here. I mean, he's, he's, commenting on it quite a bit throughout the film the 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 character you know one of the characters and you know we'll get into all that but um as always we're going to you know spoil the movie we're going to talk all about it so uh, this is definitely something that you you really want to watch first before you have someone talk about it some movies it's okay to spoil but this one is really it's more fun if you just kind of go into it and don't don't know about it that which brings me to what I was going to say. This is our first uh, listener recommended film. Yes. Yes. And it was uh, recommended by an old friend of mine. His name is Ramon. Hey, Ramon. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, he, he, and that's, that's something that he had mentioned. Cause you know, I, I don't think he knew that I had seen it yet. So he says, you know, well, you know, you, you need to make sure that you don't read too much about it before you watch it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yes, I've seen it several times, unfortunately. <laughs> but 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 when I saw it in the theater, I mean, I knew it was a horror film, but that's pretty much all I knew. This was pre-internet, so, yeah, um, or at least pre-internet for me. So uh, I uh, didn't really know much, much at all other than it was supposed to be really good. And, you know, that was about it. And uh, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I, I guess if you if you didn't know anything about it at all, you would think it's like a purely romantic comedy for like the first hour of the movie almost. Yeah, if you literally went in cold and and you know never never knew that it was a horror film or something, I mean, you you would there there's a few signs that kind of pop up <laughs> that if you if you're a movie person you'd catch them, but but uh, yeah, it devolves quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and intensely. Wow, very intensely. He is notorious for not pulling punches. And, yeah, uh, and he's obviously has a knack for uh, what what is very disturbing to watch. Apparently, in any culture. <laughs> yes, I think he's maybe pulled back a little. I know uh, one of the quotes out there from from him is uh, he wishes he could make a career off of making movies like Ted. <laughs> Right. So, <laughs> okay. Read into that what you will. 
Wow. <laughs> um, so uh, this movie starred... Oh, and also, uh, thank you again, Ramon. I really appreciate the uh, the recommendation. This was great to watch. And uh, for everyone else, send in your recommendations. We will watch them almost certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this movie stars Ishibashi Ryo as Aoyama Shigiharu. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might recognize him as Detective Nakagawa from The Grudge 1 and 2. That's right. Uh, it also ultra star Shiina Aihe uh, as Yamazaki Asami, uh, who you almost certainly recognize from Tokyo Gore Police. Yeah, she's uh, she's definitely got a, a particular look about her. Yeah, yeah, she is very talented. It doesn't look like her career went to great heights after this, which is a shame because she really carries this movie. <laughs> she really does. She's yeah. she's incredible. She's a force of nature. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this is this is her movie, even though she's not technically the star. Right. Yeah. I mean, she this this movie goes nowhere without her character. So. Yeah. um so yeah definitely go watch the movie uh go into it with a a pure heart and a steel-lined stomach yeah it's Uh, pretty pretty hard to watch yeah so if if you are super squeamish there might be better movies for you but if you can if you can make your way through it it's really worth it absolutely so go do that and then we'll come back and spoil the hell out of this film we will and we're back how was that movie john oh it was great uh at at least one person and a dog dies but wait does a person definitely die doesn't she murder the person who runs the restaurant okay yes but do we ever actually see that like do we is that part of well yeah i guess you're right oh oh that's right the per the, the lady that works at the restaurant and the guy that uh works in that office who had been missing for 18 months we assume he's been killed yeah or is oh, that the guy oh no that's the guy in the bag isn't that's it? the guy in the bag oops <laughs> uh-oh ultra spoiler there's a guy in a bag bag of dude that terrifying bag is actually kind of disappointingly full of a guy yeah <laughs> the very hyperactive bag yeah. oh and i guess uh we see the piano pervert die Oh yes, that her uncle, I yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah, he's horrible. Yeah, he's. I don't know. That's one thing they never explain. Uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, this movie opens with a a small child carrying a dias- dinosaur diorama through a through hallways with a card that says "Get well soon, mom." Yeah, I immediately hate the child. Oh yeah, the worst. Also. Just- why do our education systems enforce the creation of dioramas? Is it because we need architects? Is that what that is? I really don't know because I, I really have made not a single diorama since I left school. <laughs> Very few points in my career have hinged upon my success at diorama making. <laughs> and yet. <laughs> and yet they really factor into childhood. Whatever it is, it's so important that we do it here, and they also do it in Japan. That's right. And boy, does this kid like dinosaurs. Oh, man, what a nerd. (laughs) But it's good. Uh, After the kid is seen carrying the dinosaur diorama, 
we move into a hospital room where a man is with his wife um, as she is dying in dramatic sunset lighting pouring in through the windows and yeah. sad, spooky, oh, oh, music <laughs> plays. Um, the little boy walks in and we see that the dad realizes that he is now a single father. Mm-hmm. And then we see them walking down a sidewalk together. Uh, as a note, there is a nurse, a female nurse in the room. And this is the first female that we see in this movie, but it'll be a while before we see another one. That's true. (laughs) There's been a lot of debate as to, is this a feminist movie? Is this a misogynist movie? I'm going with misogynist. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm going to disagree with you entirely. I'm going to say that this is a feminist movie that is pointing out Japanese forms of toxic masculinity. I definitely think it does that. Um, but at the same time, I, um, I guess we'll get into it later, but I, 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 it's more nihilistic to me than anything really, because I don't see what happens as being redemptive in any particular way. Okay. Ooh, this'll be fun. We'll get to, we'll get to like debate. (laughs) I am now more excited than if we were just both in agreement on everything. (laughs) Of this fine, fine movie. (laughs) Um, so it switches to seven years later and they are now fishing together on a rocky outcrop. Um, the father is wearing the single most gear geek extravagant fishing (laughs) outfit, which is probably marketed as an entire fishing attire system. Yeah, he is decked out. Yeah, he even has, like, it's got a thing where you connect your cell phone to it so that you can drop it at a moment's notice and it won't crash against the ground. <laughs> yes. Is, Good thing he's on shore catching fish. <laughs> yeah, he is he's, He is just ready to go fishing, whereas his son is just, like, wearing a jacket and jeans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, the son catches a fish. It's not very large, but this is enough to make his father proud and also forces him to prove that his own penis is still larger than that of his son's. Correct. Yes. <laughs> uh, they talk about things and the son says, I prefer real girls to imaginary big fish. <laughs> and I was like, ah, yes. Masculine virtue signaling. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When you're older, you'll understand about love, his father says to him. (sighs) Yes, he certainly will in a very unique way. Yeah. At this point, the dad hooks a big one while on a phone call in a comical bit of business. Uh, His fish is indeed bigger than that of his son's. Good job, dad. (laughs) Good job, dad, you dick. (laughs) You asshole. (laughs) Couldn't just let your ha- your son have this one, could you? That's right. <laughs> um, so then it switches inside their home. They are eating the fish while conversing. We see that the father is concerned with his son's happiness. His son talks about how this fish they're cutting into begins as a hermaphrodite, then becomes male or female, and how they saw its ovaries. Uh, the father says, I don't know much about ovaries. Yeah, that was a little. Okay. That was a little, uh, little, little obvious. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dad. Way to go. Way to go. How did I get here? <laughs> and boy, does that fish uh, look disgusting. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it did not look appetizing, and they are like really like digging in there. <laughs> it's 
almost as if it's like the first clue about weird like body stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the kid tells him he's been looking worn out and should get married again while he feeds scraps to the female dog that is clearly had a litter of puppies and it's making the dog eat out of the palm of his hand, which mm-hmm. definitely doesn't relate to anything later on in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> this gives us a read of their commonplace day-to-day lives and the nature of their relationship, their conversations, and the fact that, you know, they care for each other. So, like, this relationship between father and son in is, like, a pivotal part of the movie. Uh, their relationship is essentially a character unto itself. Yeah. It's very daw. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I put a note in here. I think the importance of the son gets lost a lot whenever people talk about this movie. You know, they, mm-hmm. they talk about the dad, they talk about Asami, but like, I guess from my perspective that this is a feminist movie, I think that in that reading of it, the son's character is like ultimately the most important thing in here. Yeah. Yeah, he's the probably the most uh, natural character in the film. The rest are all pretty almost caricatures. Uh, the yep. father is is fleshed out more, but he you know ultimately just kind of fulfills that kind of a character. I mean, the, so, so is the son in a sense, but it's just that he's he pre- he's presented more as a real person than he is you know kind of a a caricature. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, it does. Okay, well, good. <laughs> we've made it (laughs) that's a load off so it moves we see the dad at work he's watching rock concert footage and a a guy in a lollipop importantly says everyone in Japan is lonely yeah (laughs) that's exactly what I think when I'm watching rock concert footage yeah all of these guys are lonely uh, they have a whole conversation about it where he's like, what, are you lonely? And the guy turns around, pu- pulls the lollipop out of his mouth and says, aren't you? So that yeah. establishes that loneliness is a, a theme of the movie. Yes. Um, as he leaves work, he is dismissive to his female assistant. She tells him she's getting married. He congratulates her, but it's all really awkward. And uh, that, I guess, comes into play later, kind of. Yeah, she really... Uh, is kind of lingering, like kind of hoping he'll react more strongly yeah. uh, than he does, which is basically not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's just, he's like cordial and nice, but not really interested in in her life. Yeah, she yeah. just works for him. Yep, and has done other things for him too. <laughs> yes, yes, she has, as we will Maybe. find out. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. This movie gets real weird. Yeah, it does. Um, he goes to a fancy bar with his fancy business friend, Yoshikawa, and they share woes about the recession, about shrinking profits, all while soft, loungy music plays in the background. Yeah, it's like the, just the cheesiest, like, just goofy-looking bar. And there's, like, there's this table of ladies sitting in the other room, and they laugh out loud, and, and then we, you know, what is it, Yoshikawa? Yoshikawa. Yeah, Yoshikawa makes some uh, incredibly obnoxious comment about how, you know, women are women nowadays are all just a bunch of crap or whatever he says. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he calls them awful girls and says that they're common. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because they <laughs> laughed at the dinner table. Yeah. A, a group of girls had a good time at a restaurant. <laughs> what but, is Japan coming to? Yes, but apparently laughing audibly in a restaurant with, you know, as a woman in Japan is just completely like frowned upon. Or at least it what used to trash. Be. Yeah. <laughs> what common yeah. trash. So, so the two of them begin bemoaning the state of affairs of Japan. <laughs> also, I really like that Aoyama is like, doesn't really pay attention to what his friend says very often. He's just kind of doing his own thing. So, so Yoshikawa's like, oh, Japan sucks. And Aoyama's like, I'm going to get remarried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty much just keeps him along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> to which Yoshikawa's like, oh, neat. Who are you going to marry? He's like, I don't know anyone. And he's like, oh, you know what we should do? <laughs> I have a really good idea. Yeah. As a guy that auditions people for movies, I think I should abuse this position to set you up for fucking. God. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> yeah, it's a great plan. Let's audition a bunch of girls, but they'll really be auditioning for Tubone. Yes. <laughs> so he gets an idea of what the guy's looking for, and he's like, ah, oh, I have just the screenplay. We'll audition these people, and uh, it'll be it'll be great. So, like, he doesn't, he wants someone that's accomplished, but maybe not professionally, like just someone that plays, I don't know, the piano, and someone that's mature and confident, but... He doesn't want to make a mistake because he's old now. So he wants to get a preview of all these ladies first. So it's a great idea. Oh, yeah. Just a great idea. And I love when Yoshikawa is like, well, you're not. Of course, you won't end up with the one we pick as the the heroine in the film because yes. she'll be too good for you, essentially. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and also the the one that you want. Uh, what is it? It's it's that good actresses are unhappy because only unhappy women have like the whatever to be an actress. God. Yeah. So he wouldn't want an unhappy woman. So he's going to find a happy woman who is of course unqualified to be an actress. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah. Perfect white material. (laughs) (laughs) Too happy for acting. Um, and so then we see, we see Aoyama is in the car listening to the commercial for it. It's called Tomorrow's Heroin. Um, and he's listening to it while stuck in traffic. But we also then switch to a little girl in a kind of dark room, also listening to the same radio commercial. Later in the movie, we will be like, oh, that's Asami. But at this point in the movie, it's just a little girl in a room. Right. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Makes so much sense. Of course. <laughs> uh, back at home, we see Aoyama has a housekeeper. Uh, mm-hmm. He is pleasant to her, but doesn't really pay her any attention, nor does he pay any attention to the dog, which gets a lot of focus in this really interesting narrow frame shot. Yes, uh, and and uh, the here's one of the moments where you discovered that the sound design is just very strange. Like the dog makes all these weird whimpering noises and, you know, like very kind of cartoonish dog noises are overdubbed. (laughs) And this dog's just basically walking across the floor. It's not really doing anything. 
Yeah, this is definitely a movie to watch on your computer with your headphones on because there's lots of weird little sound stuff going on in here that I had not noticed otherwise. Yeah, it really it really degenerates into like like auditory chaos at the end. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Um so part of this whole process is going to be Aoyama sorting through profiles of the various actors applying to audition. Mm-hmm. Um He's mostly just looking at their photos, and I, I thought it was cool. This this scene is shot where in the background are these huge, uh, like, curtains, and uh, the bed is in the foreground, and he's in the middle, and it all kind of looks like he's enveloped in some sort of bag. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that could mean anything. No, I probably has no relevance. <laughs> And also, he's pulling all of these stacks of submissions out of manila envelopes, so it's everything is very, like, contained and lumpy and gross. Yes, yes, he has a nice little package of women, potentially, to exploit. Yeah, one might say that his objectification of these women is sort of like reducing them into things in containers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Tea! And there's even a little movie camera on his desk pointing at him while this is happening. I know. Uh, and he looks at the photo of his wife that's on his desk and then turns it away from him while he works at looking at all these pretty ladies. Yeah, that was that was that was weird. I like the look on her face because it, it 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 you see it again later in a different context, and, and again the look on her face is just perfect for the for, for the moment. Yeah, like uh, really, dude. Yeah. And then later on, it's like, dude. Yoshikawa calls him while he's working on this, and he says that doing this is as hard as chewing choosing my first car. <laughs> so hard. Oh, my God. The guy tells him, hey, you only need to choose 30 girls, but be sure to read the essays, too. Don't just look at the photos, you piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't That's just what look he said. at the photos. <laughs> Don't just look at the photos, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> you disgusting man. <laughs> um, <laughs> As soon as the phone call is over, his son comes in. He tells him that he's got a girl with him. Aoyama says uh, she can eat his dinner, which is a gross thing in this movie. Like, there's a lot of um, business about who eats from whose whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of that. There's lots of, like, the fact that they caught the fish and ate it. Lots of feeding the dog out of the hand. Lots of uh, the housekeeper isn't good at cooking. And other things will come into play later yeah after his son leaves he spills his tea on the files and and especially on uh, one particular file which he pulls out to dab the tea away and is immediately struck by the beautiful photo of asami asami Uh, yeah sorry there she is (laughs) asami he never says that he doesn't do that at all at no point does he go, Cat's <laughs> <laughs> right out of the bag. Oh, there it is. 
and I'm an idiot. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Uh, he, he he reads her essay and uh her she has a history as a ballet dancer her essay also talks about how she lost her ballet career due to a hip injury and how accepting the loss of her ballet career is similar to accepting death and how life means the slow acceptance of death and he is like never has he been more aroused whoa what a woman (laughs) i know it's like that's what sold you life is the slow acceptance of death (laughs) will you marry me (laughs) what's up japanese sarge Good lord. Yeah. Uh, so, upon having discovered his future wife, he walks outside, uh, finds his son talking to a girl about dinosaurs while they sit on the floor <laughs> next to a pile of every dinosaur book. Um, Oyama comes out and introduces himself. Uh, his son says, She looked pretty, so I spoke to her. Good. <laughs> yeah, great. That's all it, it takes turned- in Japan. Yeah, good. And she, he says that like right in right in front of her, like dismissing her, like making eye contact with his dad. It's just like, oh yes, I saw her. She looked pretty, so I talked to her. Uh, okay, um, maybe that's just a cultural thing. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It turns out that she is interested in biology and wanted to see his books. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> When she realizes that she ate Oyama's dinner, she offers to cook him something. He's like, nah, don't worry about it. I'm going away. Bye. Uh, yeah, but she's he's... real quick to offer. It's horrible. Yeah, it's it's just like, oh, yes, I'll cook you something in your own k- kitchen. It's 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 strange. Yeah. Jeez. But who's to say? Who's to say? And at least he yeah. didn't take her up on it. Yeah, that's true. He was like, no, no, no. You look like you suck at cooking. And I'd rather my son have a chance at getting in your tiny skirt that you have to wear to school. Yeah, your entire schoolgirl slash sailor outfit. (laughs) With those weird, poofy socks that they wear. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Um, As he's leaving, he gives his son the old good work man sign. Oh, God, it's uh, so... uh... Yeah, it's like, yeah... You caught the biggest fish. I definitely won't fantasize about that girl you brought home later. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. She won't She won't show up in any capacity later. <laughs> it's not going to get real uncomfortable in here. <laughs> and then he's off, and there's a, a scene of uh, the titular audition. That's right. The, then we get into the wacky montage. So, so the audition is taking place in a large room where the auditioner will sit in a chair all by themselves in the middle of this like huge room, and then off to one side, the uh, the people holding the audition will be sitting, taking notes, having a camera, having like a computer, and you're just filling the rest of the space 
by sitting in this little chair as narrowly as possible. <laughs> yes. And then we get to see this string of, of young ladies coming in and, you know, all every one of them is, you know, played up as some sort of cartoon character, essentially. They're, they're all like unique individuals, but they're, they're all portrayed as just the, either their most boring or desperate or eccentric aspect. Yeah, so like they, kind of a they, reduction of a woman to a thing. Yeah, just a list of of stereotypical women. There's like the the demure old lady and the shy girl and the overly outgoing girl and the overly confident girl or the you know just a, the the one that has to get naked immediately. Yes, yep. because that's what happens in an audition. <laughs> During all of this, Aoyama says he feels like a criminal. Uh, he he expresses his discomfort with this situation multiple times, but also doesn't do anything to prevent it from moving forward. <laughs> yeah, they should have had Yokohama go. Oh well, did you want to stop? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, let's let's keep it up. Let's um, see all thirty. Yeah. Uh, questions that they ask the auditioners include. Have you had loveless sex? Uh, what are men to you? What kind of men do you hate? Laugh for us and just walk around, please. This is, this is ostensibly they're they're auditioning for a movie role. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ! Yeah, and all yeah. of this is uh, going on with like with like comedic boopy music and. Mm. Uh, interspersed with like a close-up of him checking off names on the list yeah um, it's all supposed to be just hilarious and lighthearted. what a nice thing uh, <laughs> i like where there's that there's the one girl that's uh she she says something like i don't know this was i was referred to this by my friend who's a porn producer or something and the guy's mm-hmm. like uh like give me her number i'll call her later i want her for a different part i think it is yeah yeah that's it yeah yeah <laughs> jerk uh they end up taking a break and uh at to this point aoyama hasn't asked any questions yoshikawa's like what the fuck is wrong with you why aren't you asking any questions and he says he's just nervous it's fine yeah Um, he's not just anticipating one particular girl yeah uh the second half of auditions is when it intensifies that's whenever the porn is brought up and the woman gets naked and one woman shows the scars from her multiple suicide attempts and all of her trips to psychiatric hospitals. Uh, one woman comes back in because she says she had more to say. Oh, isn't that funny? And uh, one <laughs> woman just begins to cry in the middle of her audition. Mm-hmm. And none of this is supposed to elicit anything close to an emotional response other than hilarity. Yeah. What? Oh, look, <laughs> she tried to kill herself several times. What crazy hijinks. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> But at this point, they announce that the next uh, the next uh, audition contestant, whatever, uh, is named Asami. And at this point, Aoyama straightens up and makes sure he's showing just the right amount of man cleavage. <laughs> That's right. Don't want to show too much. No, but but don't don't want to be a prude about it either. No, no, got to show some skin. Um. The uh, uh, she comes in and stands by the chair, and the the camera angle is from behind her and to the side, and it's slowly zooming past her and focusing just on Aoyama, 
signaling that this audition obviously isn't about her. It's about what he wants. And we mm -hmm. see that what he wants is Asami. That's correct. He's completely taken with her already. Yeah, he's just, he is just torched. <laughs> it's, it's over. That's right. From uh, Yoshikawa's comments or questions, we find out that her manager hasn't been in touch with her lately. She doesn't make much money, but enough to get by. She says she doesn't want to be poor, but is happy if she has enough money to buy books and CDs. Mm -hmm. And and so that then at this point, Aoyama busts in and he's like, can I ask about your ballet? The camera switches to Yoshikawa, who's looking over at him like, oh, oh. <laughs> 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 yep. <laughs> I think that was straight from the subtitles. That's, that's what it said. I wrote it down. <laughs> word for word. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, Ayama tells her how impressed he was with her describing her hip injury as part of the slow acceptance of death. Good. <laughs> yeah, that is that is good stuff. He says, quote, you are bound to have to give up something precious in your life, and there's nothing you can do but accept that fact. I was amazed that a girl as young as you understands that. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then it's over. That was her entire audition. Yep, so and that's Asami, all she needed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Asami leaves the room, and Aoyama makes a drooly face as she leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. it's wet. God, dude, get it together. Uh, Yoshikawa's like, mm, she makes me nervous. I think something's wrong with her, and he's like, what the fuck? You're dumb. I'm gonna go like sniff the chair she was in and then like feel her butt warmth on my own butt ah oh, that was so weird yeah he's just like, like what is that he's just like being around the chair because it was the chair she was in that's to sniff her air <laughs> that's not okay guy <laughs> i'm so uh, glad that yokohama at least has the sense to recognize because he's completely dead on accurate <laughs> yeah yeah he is he's what he is a horrible character, but at least he like has two eyes and an alarm bell in his head. Yes, because he he catches on right away. He's like mm, something about her is not right, and he's like, "No, you're right. It's not right. It's amazing. <laughs> Just perfect." Ah. <laughs> Uh, the scene transitions and it's now focusing on a whiskey bottle back at his house. Never will come into play again. Just a single shot of a whiskey bottle. Just a random shot of a bottle with whiskey in it. Who could say why that would be there? His son tells him that the girl he brought home isn't what she seems. Quote, she's so complex, I'm scared of women, end quote. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Whoa. <laughs> Good job, Dad. That's the son you raised. God. At least he says it instead of just pretending that he doesn't feel that way, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's true. He just comes right out and says it. He also comes right out and says that he should marry someone who cooks better than their housekeeper. Good. <laughs> that's right. <sighs> oh, yeah, he should marry, marry someone just because he's lonely and, you know, not just he just needs he needs somebody to take care of him. 
Yeah, yeah. He's been looking worn out. You should get remarried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All of this is happening because his son said that you know you look worn out. You should get married, and so then this movie is is pinning on him having the objective. He needs to achieve remarriage. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a romantic comedy. Has nothing to do with the the person that you're marrying and what they might want in life. Mm-mm. You just have this job to do. And I like his thing is, I want someone that's mature. And then he's like, I find it fascinating that you're so obsessed with death, even though you are so young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Translation, very mature. <laughs> Damn. Um, he takes his bottle of whiskey into the other room to call Asami. Uh, they make a vague date, but he doesn't say what he wants to talk about. After that, Yoshikawa calls him and says he checked in on her manager, found out that her manager has been missing for the last 18 months. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, maybe some alarm bells going off since she's she's claiming that this person has been her manager, you know, and, and mm-hmm. a, as in currently. Yeah. That's her representation, is is this dude. She did say that she hadn't talked to him in a while, but she didn't uh, make it seem like a big deal. Yeah. Great. <laughs> um, then they're on a date. She is nervous. He says he isn't going to ask her anything, just relax. She mm-hmm. says, so all I have to do is chat and enjoy nice food? <laughs> He's like, uh, yeah. Like, yeah, okay. you're not important. <laughs> Uh, he asks about her manager. She says she lied about that and that it was, uh, she thought it was better to pretend to have representation than go in there with nothing. And at this point, romance music swells up over the scene as they begin eating food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they meet at a cafe and then they end up at this ridiculously obnoxious looking restaurant. <laughs> she asks if they can do this again. It's nice of him to do this and she doesn't have anyone to trust and confide in. They agree that they're going to have some other meeting like this at some other time. Then it switches, and now we're in a rooftop golfing cage? Yeah, like a uh, rooftop, yeah, putting driving range thing, except just for, like, one person or something. Yeah, and it's it's gross. Like, the, the camera angle is uh, is from the ground, and you can see where the, like, AstroTurf hasn't linked up and it's like all of the golf balls are like old and dirty and unpleasant. Yeah, it's really cheap cheap looking and yeah, just it, super tacky. Yeah, it, it looks it looks like it smells bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like all the dirt and sludge from the rain is just packed into that AstroTurf. <laughs> Aoyama tells Yoshikawa that, uh, he's not interested in the movie or any of the other girls. He just wants this one girl. Uh, Yoshikawa tells him that he finds it suspicious that such a perfect woman would fall fall for their scheme. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. It's that is like, pretty great. I didn't really think this would work out this well. That just seems weird. <laughs> Something's not right. He says he's tried researching her background but couldn't find anything about her or anyone who knows her. Uh, Again, no reason for a red flag. No, no, it's fine. That's uh, that's how you get the really good wives. They're all under the radar. <laughs> that's right. Nobody knows them. Nothing to get in the way of you controlling them. 
God. Uh, Aoyama says he trusts his own judgment and found his perfect woman at the audition. Yoshikawa asks him not to call her back for a while, just to be safe and cool down a bit first. Aoyama promises that he will. Yeah, because they're in middle school and it's time to play the the old hard-to-get game. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the number of days that you wait to call. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, he's like jumping out of his skin because he wants to call her so bad. Yeah, yeah. What proceeds is then (laughs) for a good chunk of the next little bit of the movie it's him like doing other stuff while not calling her but looking at phones and thinking about calling her (laughs) yeah it's a very very common uh, movie thing yeah and and all of this is then interspersed with shots we see asami in her house that we've never seen before except for like that one time when it was a little girl um and she is kneeling on the floor like a infant with that like knee down our legs splayed out to either side pose mm-hmm. and she's like complete broken string puppet keeled over her house is mostly empty the like paper window segments are all old and and blown out there's not really anything in there except like a one little shelf and a phone on the floor and some sort of lumpy bag a large lumpy bag it's yeah. it's a very, it, it looks like an abandoned apartment, except she's living in it. Yep, and and it looks like all of her laundry is in this one bag, and she just can't bring herself to go to the washeteria. And and I, this is the moment that I I wanted to point out that um, there's a certain lady that uh, you and I used to work with, and we used to say when she got home from work, she would just stand there <laughs> and not do anything. <laughs> what i thought of just just stand in a dark room waiting for the next thing to happen (laughs) i was like oh my god it's her (laughs) yep static water pressure Oh my god, she must love this movie. <laughs> if she knows how to watch one. Yeah. <laughs> Just sits in front of a turned off TV looking at the light cast a weird reflection. Where are the happy pictures? <laughs> oh, so unfortunate. <laughs> to die <sighs> <laughs> i had forgotten about her uh but audience you don't know anything about that um <laughs> I'm moving on uh, he calls her <laughs> yeah uh, in the meantime we see that he's gone to sleep uh while she's still waiting by the phone and he dreams of his wife peeking out at him from behind a tree oh that's right did that's right did we yeah. did we pass the spot where he's in his office and and uh, he has another? Well, no, the, the part where his housekeeper is kind of like intimating that she's into him too. Like apparently, every woman that encounters this guy finds him alluring. Yeah, no, that is next. Okay, 
Yeah, that is next. Uh, the, the, then after he has a dream about his wife peeking at him from behind a tree, then he has apparently taken the day off, which he never does according to his housekeeper. Mm-hmm. And she commends him for raising a son all by himself, even though she's there doing all the work. Um, yeah. <laughs> and also while starting and running his own business, which apparently his female employees do a lot of and um she wishes her husband were that efficient so she wouldn't have to work um she says you have a nice woman don't you and he does not answer her question he really does like yeah he just like looks at her is smiling and just does not reply and she goes of course you do a man needs a woman to support him or he'd exhaust himself so yeah, there there's a little bit like a hey. <laughs> and I think there's a little bit of an implication later that maybe one time they did it. Yeah. Yeah, I think this guy is a roving wang. Yeah. And through all this, he's thinking about calling Asami and looking over at the phone like, mm, I should really call Asami. But <laughs> no, a man told me not to, and he's a bro. Yeah. Uh, he knows the ladies. Yeah. Back at work, the assistant looks at him awkwardly before leaving, talking about, I'm leaving now. And he's like, mm, okay. Go <laughs> later. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, we, so now we know that multiple days have passed. He spent a day at home. He uh, spent a day at work. You know, it's, it's been a few days since he saw Asami last. And um, he is waiting by the phone, decides not to do it. We see another shot of her waiting in the exact same position as before, meaning that, like, the implication is that she's just been sitting by the phone for two or three days at least. Um, he decides not to call her, picks up his coat, and goes to walk out of his place of business, and then turns, doubles back, and then we see her, and her phone is ringing, and it, like, zooms in on her face, and we, like, see her, her blank mouth expression slowly turn into a real good smile. And then, holy fucking shit, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her because... smile is great. It's such a great shot. And, and you're already like, oh, God. I mean, it's not yeah. like you don't see it coming. But then but then this happens. The lumpy bag defies gravity and logic and just launches across the room, yeah. bounces off of a wall, and then rolls back into the original position it was in, all while making monster like george lucas style belching noises <laughs> yeah. and, and in no way was that scary no no <laughs> this uh this is super intense Rewatching the movie maybe it's not as intense but the first time i saw that i was just like what the fuck is that oh my god this is so cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah he knows how to build tension yeah it's so cool then it's kind of disappointing later but you know whatever yeah. it's still really cool it's a great shot <laughs> it is yeah oh my god i i wish that was <laughs> i wish that was the scene people talk about people talk about other stuff stuff that quentin tarantino likes but this, yeah exactly this, for me this this uh this scene is is amazing it's perfectly done like it's yeah they go on a date. She's still wearing all white like all the other times we've seen her, but this time she has a big, bougie, bright red Muppet fur coat. <laughs> yeah, it's like a rock star jacket or something. Yeah, it's it's intense. I don't know where she got that, but, you know, 
maybe it was also in the lumpy bag. <laughs> it could be. Uh, she says that she thought she'd never see him again. She's so happy. He asks about her family. She says her parents just bought a house, and they're not particularly close, but they don't fight. It's just, you know, whatever. Um, we find out she works at a restaurant, but her boss doesn't want people coming around. He tells her that the film is never going to get made. She says she's just happy to have met him. Uh, and then they're re- like, they were at like a beer place restaurant and now they're at like a fine dining fancy place. Mm-hmm. She tells him she feels like really great around him and shit. <laughs> um, the way she used to when she was dancing, uh, she's been alone her whole life, never had anyone to talk to the way that she's able to talk to him. And uh, it's all very romantic. Yeah, he's completely, t- he's, he's completely taken by her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she's, yeah, she's got him. Yeah. He thinks he's being sly, but she's completely, you know, she's got him completely. Yeah. Yeah. He is just, he is smote. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Their day ends with her getting out of the cab on like the middle of a bridge or some shit. Yeah. I like how she's just, <laughs> stop here. Yeah. I'll get out here. And he's like, ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. That was a little weird. Yeah. She just gets out the middle of nowhere and then he's just like (sighs) driver take me home (laughs) he Um, likes her so much he just drops her at the the middle of the road yeah (laughs) back home he talks to his son about asami his son is in a room full of dinosaur toys oh my god like this kid, this kid's room is like five foot by ten foot, and most of that is just shelves full of dinosaurs. <laughs> it's really important that we know this. Yes, uh, we. He talks to his son about Asami. We find out that she is only twenty four, which is closer to his son's age than his own. He comments that they both chose beautiful women. Good. Uh, <laughs> and that he's going to propose to Asami when they go away this weekend. Yeah, so, and then he'll introduce her to his son. Yes, yeah, at that point, you can then meet her. I don't want you thinking my girlfriend is as hot as I think your girlfriend is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want you to meet her until it's time to call her mommy. Won't that be normal? <laughs> Yay, Japan! <laughs> And the son is like, mm, okay. I know, he's totally cool with it. Yeah, good job, Dad, I guess. Seems legit. Yeah. Then it's their weekend getaway, and there is a uh, they have a epic beachfront balcony situation going on. Yeah, um, what the hell was that? It just looked right up into the clouds. It was Yeah, yeah. From inside, like the, the balcony has steps up inside, it just overlooks the sky. But then when you get out on the balcony, it also overlooks the ocean. It's fantastic. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Great shot yeah. to that where she's standing there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all yeah, all of this all in white, just shining, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that. Yeah. Um and uh, but then inside, inside their hotel room, is a <laughs> creepy cabinet of Dr. Caligari style bed frame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a normal metal bed frame, but then there's like crazy thick gauge wires wrapping around everything. Yeah, twisty wound 
wire stuff. I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, what could that have to do with the rest of this movie? I don't know. Not a thing. But it looks great. Maybe we should bone in it. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so he, he during the date, or during their getaway, he's like sitting down. He starts talking about like the restaurant they're going to go to, how the chef is, how the chef is good at this stuff, but maybe not so good at this stuff. Like, why does that guy talk so much? And he's talking about like the art gallery they're going to go to. And he's like, hmm, maybe we should go to the art gallery first, or maybe we should go to dinner first and then the art gallery and like all of this stuff. Meanwhile, she is just taking off her clothes while he's just still talking, she turns off the light, and then at a certain point, he like realizes what's going on, and is like, uh-huh. <laughs> "Mr. Dipshit." But <laughs> well, maybe we could go over here. There's a really nice cafe. I've heard there's a nice gallery in town. Uh-huh. <laughs> he is he is the Japanese Tim the Tool Man. <laughs> He's definitely a tool. Oh! <laughs> Zing! <Boing. laughs> I made a note that this is the halfway point of the movie, so... <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, only one really creepy thing has happened. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we'll get there. Yeah, we'll make up for lost time. Yeah. Uh, she gets in the bed all naked and uh, asks him to look at her, but not take off his clothes just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she pulls the, the blanket up so that he can see her legs, shows him the, these two parallel burn scars on her inner thigh. She says she accidentally burned herself when she was young and she wants him to know everything about her. She wants him to love her and nobody else. He agrees and gets into bed with her and then maybe they do it or maybe he just passes out. It's really hard to tell. Yeah, it's never really explicitly clear. Yeah. It's just, he gets in the bed, there's like a noise, and then it's just like <laughs> lumpy cover motion, and then it's him, he is woken up, he is alone. Yep, he's in bed by himself now. It's still in the n- at night. Yep, and his head hurts, he's got a little headache, and also it looks like his body's not working properly. Yeah, that's right, yeah, he's all like, uh, 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 and there's a, fo- a call, and he has to like stumble his way over to the phone. It's the front desk. They're telling him that Asami has left and asking whether or not he'll be staying. That seems like a weird thing for a hotel to do, but you know, who am I? Yeah, sorry to bother you in the middle of the night, but your guest left. We just wanted to make sure you were still here. Yeah. <laughs> what the we'll, fuck? Will be you? Will you be utilizing the rest of your hotel stay, sir? Or can you get the fuck out, please? Yeah, exactly. Um, very strange. Uh, later, he talks to Yoshikawa about how uh, how Asami disappeared and how he can't find her. They get into a disagreement about what he should do, and he gets mad and storms out. Yeah, because he, he likes her, damn it. Yeah, he's like, are you trying to say that I'm some kind of old asshole and I got, like, played by a young girl? And the guy's like, uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> you got <laughs> Then he played. gets mad. He's like, well, I don't have to take this shit from you. <laughs> That's right. I'm gonna start my own audition with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> yeah. So he... 
starts investigating based on what he knows about her. He goes to the ballet school that she talked about and finds that it's boarded up and uh, then breaks and enters. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's just like, oh, I'll just knock down these boards and go inside the abandoned building. Surely there will be a clue. That's right. Surely this isn't illegal. One. Yeah. What's a little trespass in the name of love? <laughs> yeah. And inside he finds a creepy man in a wheelchair playing a piano. He's wearing a robe that says beef something on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't really. It looks like it's saying like beef tenderizer. I can't really. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's the infamous beef kimono. <laughs> Um, he's playing the piano like a total asshole, and he is next to like, I guess, an incense burner. I don't know. It's like a little. It's like a little burning unit, and there's tons of sticks in it, and they are burning slowly. Yeah, burning incense, and we see a pair of ballet shoes. Yeah, dangling from his chair. Yeah. Aoyama asks about Asami. The guy tells him to go away. I really liked the lighting that they used in in this shot. All throughout mm -hmm. the movie, the lighting's been spectacular. But in this shot, like half of the room is lit with like a, a honey gold color, and the mm -hmm. other half is ultraviolet. So like everything looks different, and the way they turn makes everything look different. And it's super surreal and and fun. Yeah, it's great. Then the the wheelchair guy starts asking real creepy questions he's like have you heard her voice have you touched her body have you made love to her how was it was it good did you smell her oh god he's so creepy <laughs> and then he uh he stands up out of his wheelchair and uh there's like creepy violin music plays and we see a flash to a little girl dancing in sunlight then we see him crawling up between the little girl's legs to burn her inner thighs with those weird incense sticks. Um, we see he's standing up using these weird, gross, fake feet that are laced up like shoes. Yeah, these weird, rubbery-looking feet that are attached to square wooden blocks or something. Yeah. Or, or little pieces of wood. It was so weird. Yeah. I think those are supposed to be like the traditional Japanese, you know, shoe. Oh, right. Okay. But, but then it's like, it's weird fake feet attached to them. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I mean, we kind of know what's going on with that. <laughs> right, right. But it's like, I don't know. I don't know who decided, hey, maybe you should get these. How about how about if you fashion yourself a pair of replacement feet out of animal hide and wood? Yeah. What if we got you the most disgusting prosthetics ever? <laughs> They're half off. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. It's so good. <laughs> Listen to our last episode, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and then he tells him to go away. <laughs> He's like, you should leave now. Bye. <laughs> the nicest thing this man has ever said. <laughs> yeah. Most normal and least creepy words to ever come out of his mouth. Go away. <laughs> So uh, next, Aoyama decides he's going to see about that restaurant she worked at, which is apparently located in a creepy underground tunnel system. 
Yeah, it's a great location for a restaurant. Oh, it's like just all of these narrow hallways and and like just steep staircases, like tiny like flights of five steps, and all of it's lit with emergency lighting. And apparently they're all real locations, more or less. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it it, it didn't look like a set. It just looked like a a horrible place. <laughs> a very dilapidated place. Yeah, I guess it's like it's like if. Uh, they had restaurants, I don't know, I don't know anything about subway systems, but it looked like if they had restaurants in subway tunnels? Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I mean, that 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 is a thing. Is it? Yeah, so maybe there's like a tunnel network or something. Oh, damn. Well, that place looked fucking creepy. I don't want to eat there. No, no, no thank you. Um, he finds that the restaurant was closed and that the owner was murdered by uh, some bow tie looking motherfucker. Um, who says, yeah, the owner was murdered, quote, what a mess. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, He said that no one named Asami worked with the owner. The owner just mostly worked by themselves. Uh, And Aoyama, being a fucking genius, says, do you know why (laughs) they were murdered? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is that? Because that's what you ask people. Yeah, that's a normal thing for someone to be able to answer. Oh, yeah, why? Why was that person murdered? Oh, why were they? Yeah. But Pray tell, out, stranger. It turns out that Bowtie does, in fact, know why they were murdered. It, they say it had something to do with her lover. She was going out with a music director. Hmm. 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 <laughs> uh, it turns out that her body was chopped up into little bitty bits and the blood spilled out under the door because uh the this subway system is not level anymore <laughs> uh, and when they gathered up all of the parts they found three extra fingers an extra ear and a tongue <laughs> an extra tongue yeah yeah and then that yeah. apparently causes uh Asami to go, I mean Asami, uh, it, it causes Aoyama to go apoplectic, apparently, for just, just a yeah. moment. Yeah, Aoyama gets all jumpy, like he can, uh, oh, it, we flash to uh, a room where the floor is covered in blood, there are three fingers and an ear on the floor, and also a tongue that is actively flapping up and down. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and, and Aoyama is reacting as if he can hear and see all of this. And then the guy's like, eh! And he, like, freaks out at the guy, like, ah! (laughs) It's like, what the hell just happened? Jesus Christ, man, calm down. Active imagination. It's very strange. Also, I I wanted to say that the the camera work on this, whenever he's going down into the tunnel, is very Gialli style, with Mm. the first-person perspective and turning around Mm -hmm. corners and stuff. And then... When that scene is over, it does it again because now someone is going into Aoyama's house. Yeah. You get that There's... that creep eye view camera. Yep. Yep. And it uh, it starts with like that same um, uh, narrow perspective earlier. We see the dog is eating out of a bowl. Um, uh, then the, the camera like moves around and focuses on the bottle of whiskey from earlier. Oh, <laughs> Not for any reason. Uh, we hear a voicemail from the son saying he's out with friends. Please be sure to feed the dog when he the dog comes out of hiding. 
Yeah, hiding. Great. At this point, Aoyama is back at home. He drinks himself a whiskey. Then he gets all schleepty and stumbly. Yeah, pretty much instantaneously. Yeah, that must be some strong whiskey. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's the good shit. And then part of this is it flashbacks to their second date, the one where they're in a white room where they each have a beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see an alternative answer to the question about her parents. So in the first yes. one, she was like, oh, yeah, they just bought a house, uh, all of these things. Everything's great, but, you know, whatever. In this one, she talks about how her parents got divorced when she was young. So right. she went to live with her aunt and uncle. Her aunt abused her, and she always was covered in cuts and bruises. He tells her she doesn't have to talk about it if it upsets her. And she's like, no, I want you to know everything about me. We find out that her aunt would make her take cold baths during the winter until she got pneumonia and would push her down the stairs and even this caused her to break her shoulder. The doctors worried, and eventually she went back to live with her mom when she was uh, – this was all happening when she was seven years old. Mm-hmm. However, her mother had remarried. Her stepfather hated her. Uh, her stepfather couldn't walk and was home all the time, so she would just hide in a dark room until her mom came home. And that's when we see uh, we see little uh, Asami in the room <laughs> with the terror bag and phone. Uh, <laughs> but now there's a little girl, and now we see there's no bag. Uh, we see a close-up of uh, the scars on her leg, and it pans over her body. We see that now it's not a little girl. It's now a full-grown adult Asami. Then it switches to an overhead shot, and it's the little girl again. It's all very confusing. Yes, it is. It, it starts uh, it starts getting all over the place with, like, switching people out with each other, and it gets it's going to get more intense. Um, it flashes to their third date, where he's talking about how impressed he is by how much she suffered and how she doesn't show it. She talks about how ballet calmed and purified her feelings, and that's why she didn't kill herself. And, uh, he says he thinks that she's wonderful. And then you hear Darling from somewhere off screen, and he turns and looks, and it's his wife and their mm-hmm. son as a child, and maybe the girl he's dating? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Uh, he introduces like, what's she doing son? there? Yeah, exactly. Like, How, how'd she elbow in on this weird drugged fantasy? Yeah, his psyche is super fucked up. Yeah, he is not a, a good guy. No. He introduces Asami to his family, including his wife and a girl that he fantasizes about. His wife says, mm, don't marry her. <laughs> um, and uh, stuff like that. Uh, flashes back to the in her house, uh, he's there with her in her house. She says, I want you, and she goes in for a, a, an aggressive blowy. Um, but then her face <laughs> turns into the face of his assistant, and she says, it was a mistake, wasn't it? You made love to me once. I thought it would lead somewhere. He says, I'm sorry, forgive me. And then her face switches back to Asami. But then it switches to his son's girlfriend, who's like uh, <laughs> digging around for his dick and like, looks at it and is like, ooh, look at that. And he's like, what are you doing? Stop. (laughs) God. (laughs) uh, He goes to leave, trips over the bag, sees it move. Then a dude with no feet, missing three fingers and an ear and no tongue, crawls out of the bag. 
super long hair. He's filthy. He's clearly been in there for a long time, probably about 18 months. Yeah, probably about 18 months. (laughs) And uh, we even see like the, like one hand that is missing three of the fingers has like either the middle or ring finger on it. And he like gestures with it with like a come hither gesture. That's so gross. It's, it's, it's real not good. Um, and then we see Asami vomiting into a dog bowl and then feeding it to Choppy Bag Dude, who, who can't wait. Yeah, he's super happy. He makes gross, happy noises while he laps up the vomit food. God. And then she is all of a sudden little girl Asami petting him like a dog. Yeah. Um, whoo. <laughs> yeah. Just hang in there, folks. Yeah. Uh, uh, then it turns, uh, little girl Asami turns to Aoyama and says, you'll love only me, won't you? And then we see wheelchair guy is there too. Um, he, uh, he stands up, he says, if you don't dance, I'll punish you. And then, then we see adult Aoyama opening her legs up for him the way that, uh, her legs were when she was a little girl and he burned her and they're back in the dance room and. It's now lit all blue and weird, and he's crawling towards between her legs and is crying and saying thank you. Uh, and um, then Aoyama sees her come up behind the wheelchair guy while he's playing piano. She has a fancy uh, garrote, uh, a mm-hmm. razor wire garrote, and wraps it around his neck slowly while he plays, and agonizingly to twisty wet cut mute sounds uh slowly cuts his head off while he's playing piano and the piano music slows down and gets all stuttery with each pass of the squishy things and and the last thing that the piano player says is you're wonderful just before she finishes and his head plops down onto the floor (laughs) just lops it right off Oh, it's so weird. It really is. It's pretty hardcore. Uh, uh, Then it flashes to all sorts of weird business, like the uh, housekeeper saying men exhaust themselves while she is having sex with someone on the staircase. We are not explicitly told that it is Aoyama, but you get the feeling that it's Aoyama. Right. Then they're back at the bar where the idea for the audition started. The bartender is making a fancy shook cocktail again, like earlier, and it's very loud. And that sound bleeds into the other scenes, like the the scene with the uh, beheading. He's there now, mm-hmm. too. Uh, and then it all like comes back into focus, and it's back to Aoyama, and he's drugged in his house and falls down on the ground. Yep, yep. It's the it's like sandwiched between shots of him falling on his flat on his back, paralyzed. Yeah. It's super weird, and I don't, I don't really understand it. I don't know. I, I almost feel like it's some sort of strange trip through a combination of his fantasy life and, and you know, we're kind of seeing some of the things that he's done, and and you know how how it affects his psyche or something. That's kind of the impression I got. Yeah. Yeah, I but I, but but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. It's super strange. This movie does not have a lot of answers, and and that's okay. Movies don't have to have answers, but 
I would like some answers because like I don't understand like the fact that there are two different versions of her answering the story about her parent like answering about her parents mm-hmm. does that mean that is this alternative one like a uh, thing that his brain conjured or was the first one like the pretty version that he tells other people and the one now is the real one that took place yeah I don't I, I actually I have no idea I wondered the exact same thing yeah I don't I don't know like and, and to be honest we don't know that she actually killed the wheelchair guy because he talked to the wheelchair guy yeah so did she kill him after that or is that something that entirely happened in his head or did he never talk to the wheelchair guy and that was something that happened in his head I don't know I mean technically everything that happened between I'm guessing between him hitting the ground the first time and then him hitting the ground after is happening in his head. But the question is like, is he, how much of it is him replaying stuff that actually happened or how much of it is just stuff in his imagination, like his fevered imagination. Yeah. And that's why I think it's kind of a mix of both. Yeah. It's like this, this weird mishmash of, you know, all these crazy ideas kind of floating through his head that are, that are all kind of giving you an idea of, of, you know, his pathology essentially yeah yeah it's it's pretty intense and i mean like part of it would be him if that was just things in his mind part of that would be him predicting the razor wire yeah see that's 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 one of those things it's like is this a continuity error is it just is it is he just throwing ideas out you know i mean i don't know I don't know either. But all of all of the weird places, all of the things that are like questionable and uncertain happen after he was I would assume drugged the first time. Yeah, that's true. At the, there uh, is at that. the like fancy hotel room, so it could be that everything after that is entirely suspect to a combination of her double life and uh, and his psyche. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. This movie's nuts. Oh, it's it's bonkers for sure. <laughs> And it's about to get more so. It's I mean it has a certain elegance to it that that you know uh that he puts into it so it it gives you this kind of feeling of you know you you want to take it seriously but at the same time it's so over the top that you have to separate yourself from what you're seeing. Yeah, it's just yeah. I mean it's just too much, you know. Yeah, boy is it ever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so so he falls on the ground. Uh, he is conscious, but like all floppy. And she comes in and she is geared up with like heavy duty gloves and like a, a like blacksmith's apron or something. Yeah, this crazy like black, like rubbery looking apron and these these gloves up to her elbows and these weird like beige rubbery straps around. Yeah, all, yeah, they're, they're like the most epic rubber band straps. Oh my god. And doesn't he see his dog at that point? Yeah, we see the dog is like dead with its like head twisted around and its tongue out like she killed the dog for some reason. I guess because yeah. the dog probably wouldn't just like let this happen. Yeah. Just just for a <laughs> gruesome shot. Uh she explains that he's paralyzed and can't move but that he can feel. Mhm. Good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then she gives him an injection in his tongue. Yeah. Um, this is one of the points where having the headphones is real good because you can hear like the water excruciatingly squirt into his like tongue. You can you can hear the moisture of the injection. 
yeah, from here on out, the sound design is just is as excruciating as the visuals. Yeah, it's it's real good. <laughs> she unfurls a giant empty bag, much like the one at home, but this one is empty and flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then she rolls him onto it. I guess that'll make it more convenient for later. Um, she says, you call a lot of girls to the audition, reject them, and then call them up later to have sex with them. And uh, then she grabs a handful of acupuncture needles and starts going to town. <laughs> Boy, does she. Yeah, she, she talks about how the drugs, uh, because of the way the drugs work, it makes uh, the pain all the more excruciating. Good. Oh, great. What the hell kind of drug is that? Yeah, it's apparently one that, that uh, uh, the director made up. He was like, okay. eh, there's a drug like this doesn't exist. Yeah, it's fine. We'll just say it does these things. That's good. Let's go. <laughs> does now. We've only got three weeks here, buddy. When you need to paralyze someone, and, but also it's perfectly okay for them to feel even more pain than usual. <laughs> Jesus. There's a real medical need for that. <laughs> Um, she begins plunging the acupuncture needles, I guess that's what they are, uh, into his, uh, tummy and chest, um, twisting them as she goes and going, gibby, 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 uh, which the subtitles say means deeper, deeper, but actually what Kirikiri is, is a Japanese onomatopoeia describing a sharp pain. So it's like she's going, ow, 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 trying to sound cute, <laughs> which is fantastic. And, and she's she's clearly having a very good time. Oh, big old smile like never before. Um, like just, just childlike glee she's doing this. Yeah, her eyes are lit up. All of this, all up to this point, like she's been like saying, I can't stop smiling. But like her eyes have always been dead. But with this, she is just like, fully alive and an entire person in this moment. <laughs> That's right. So so messed up. <laughs> she says, all words are lies, but pain doesn't lie. And she chatters throughout an elongated torture. And then she, I guess this is why she needed the apron. She straddles up onto his chest, pushing the needles in further with her body <sighs> while she starts pushing more needles into the skin around his eyes. Uh, and, and yeah, uh, talking about how tender that, that area is. And for this, this is amazing. This is a great shot. For this, the camera angle switches to his perspective. So mm-hmm. we are seeing through his eyes as she is shoving needles into the flesh below the eyes mm-hmm. and just staring directly into him or staring down at her work and and alternating between focused attention and smiling and going kitty 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 oh it's so good she is she's completely believable in this role too i I was just like uh, i i she she she, i mean it's like i completely bought that she she could do this oh yeah yeah no this this uh, apparently she is a method actress uh part Ah. of the lore of this movie is that she actually did vomit into that dog bowl. Um, really? Yes. Oh dear God. Yeah, like apparent, like, but it could it could just be mythology. Part right. of like a lot of people would like to extend that mythology out and say that that actually actually like lapped it up, but I don't see that as happening. 
Exactly. Yeah, I doubt even if she threw up in it, I can't imagine he did that. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think he was that devoted to it. like he was like, oh, no small roles, just small actors, I'm doing it. <laughs> Who doesn't love John Waters, huh? <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, no, it, it's fantastic. This shot from from his perspective of her like shoving needles into the audience's eyes is is just brilliant. It's iconic, really, yeah. to be honest. I mean, this this whole section is is right up there with some of the most well known, you know, modern horror footage ever shot. Oh, and, and it is it is so far from over. There are more like other shots there. That we're going to talk about one where it's just like for only just a single shot. It's this one thing, but it's unique and amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, as she's she so once she's done with the needles under his eyes, she starts to get up, but first boing boings all of the needles that are shoved into his eyes. <laughs> Just tweaks them a little bit. Flick yeah. flick. What the fuck? Such a piece of shit. <laughs> it's so sadistic, it's amazing. She says, only when you're in extreme pain do you understand your mind. Then she starts asking him about his son. She says, if he suffers, you're, you'll understand more clearly. He says, uh, don't touch my son. And she's like, see, you love him too, but you said you'd only love me. Lies. <laughs> uh, she says all of this while tightening some sort of contraption around his ankles. Then she says, mm, you can't go anywhere without your feet, and this wire cuts through bones so easily. <laughs> so uh, then she goes to town on one of his feet, and she is all, like, she, she wraps it around the way we saw her do with the wheelchair guy's neck, and, like, gets it all tight, gets it ready, and then just gets after it. And she is <sighs> all bright smiles and, like, like, doing elbows up and down with it it's just and just back and forth and mm, going for it just full body sawing she's smiling she's she's animated she's you know moved more than she's moved in the entire film combined up to this moment yeah i i uh i felt like for her because it kind of looks like a dance she's like doing it rhythmically and with Mm -hmm. like these particular motions it's like her ballet yeah yeah this is her gross bone ballet. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, um, and uh, also it's uh, all accompanied by the sound of the wire shredding through bone Ugh. and uh, and squishy flesh. And, um, and it flashes to a shot of the wheelchair man masturbating under his rope. <laughs> Just for good measure. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we hear sproing and we see that the wire is like all like caught up and uh, apparently she's finished the job. She's finished the job and just and just lopped the foot right off. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> then the shot, this is, this is the one I love. There's a shot. It switches from outside the house through mm-hmm. a glass pane of a door or window or something. And we see her, she's finished, she's looking down excitedly at the foot that she just finished cutting off, and then she just picks it up and carelessly throws it over her shoulder, where it (laughs) bonks splatters against the glass between us and her, and we see the blood splatter on the wall and bounce off and hit the ground. 
and it, it it's just fucking amazing. It's a great shot. It oh really my is. God. She's just like so happy, and then yeah, fuck this. I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> on to the next. Yeah, that's when she starts work on foot number two. <laughs> Man. Uh, so she starts she starts sawing away on foot number two, and it sounds like she makes some very solid progress on the procedure. <laughs> when she stops, because we all hear the sun has come home. So she grabs a spray bottle out of her kit and goes and hides. Uh, we see the son comes out. He sees the dad. Uh, he's like, hey, what's <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> hey, what the fuck? Uh, what are you doing down there? Uh, she sneaks up behind him and tries to spray him in the face with the spray bottle. And that at this point, now we get another flesh. And it's uh, Aoyama is back at the hotel room. And he's in the bed with the crazy frame that kind of looks like her razor wire. And uh, uh, she's in bed with him, and he gets all freaked out, and he immediately checks to make sure he still has his feet. Yep, he has his feet, and he's so relieved. Uh, He goes, he washes his face, looks in the mirror, and asks himself what the hell is going on, which, great job, Aoyama. I also don't know what the hell is going on. I know. Um, he sees her in the doorway. She asks if he's all right. And then they, they go back to bed where she accepts his proposal. And he's like, what proposal? And uh, she says, out of all the girls, I must be the luckiest. He's just kind of laying there and, and having a hard time thinking about all of this stuff. And then it flashes back. So that's also, it's like a time time something like i don't know yeah i i yeah i don't know there's there's there were yeah this is another one of the moments in the film where i'm kind of like i don't know what happened i'm just gonna let that go yeah yeah i don't know that's that's a good plan let's let it go um (laughs) so it flashes back and now it's back to him with one and a half feet left and he's on the floor no he's got half a foot left um, and she's trying to spray her his son in the face with some sort of chemical, but uh, their their struggle goes upstairs, and then he kicks Asami all the way down the stairs, and we see that uh, at the bottom of the stairs she's fallen hard, and and her neck is fucked. Yeah, yeah, she's it's fucked. jacked. Yeah, it she's is, not in good shape. Yeah, there is there is like stuff that's not supposed to be sticking up through the out of the uh neck skin like 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 her whole situation is not okay anymore it's all pulsy moving and yeah and making it, crackly yeah. sounds and stuff yeah, weird weird gurgly throb sounds Ugh. yeah it's it's super not okay <laughs> uh then his son calls the police for uh an ambulance yeah he's like hey yeah my dad's you know uh missing a foot there's also some lady here (laughs) Um, he's so so, matter of fact about it yeah yeah he's so calm he's like all right here's the situation (laughs) he's bleeding need the ambulance there's another lady here i don't know what's going on but y'all need to be here's the address here's the address again like he's just he's doing doing it all right uh meanwhile aoyama is uh, has crawled over and is on the floor and he's staring directly into asami's eyes uh, we see from a side shot that her neck is just all sorts of fucked up. Jesus <laughs> uh, but she's looking at him, 
and she starts saying things that she said earlier in the movie. She says, I thought you were busy. I don't understand your business. You may think I'm a clingy sort of woman, but I've been waiting and waiting for your call. I thought I'd never see you again. I'm so happy. I can't stop smiling. I've been on my own all my life. I've never had anyone to talk to. I've never met anyone like you. So warm and comforting. You understand and accept me. No one ever did. And then we hear Aoyama's voiceover and says, it says, it'll be hard to get over, but you'll find, uh, you'll find life is wonderful one day. That's why we all carry on with our lives. And all of this is being said while we see little girl Asami taking off her ballet shoes in the dark room. Movie yep. over. Oh my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just a happy little story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so that last little speech that Aoyama, Aoyama's uh, paralyzed, horrible voiceover, I guess, is what he was saying to his son after his mo- the son's mother died. Yeah, I think so. About why you should carry on with your life. Yeah, and I was trying to remember, did he also have a similar talk with her about her pain and stuff? Or was that, no, that was just the talk he had with his kid. Yeah, yeah. No, that was, that with with her, it was just like how hot he thinks it is that she has suffered. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's really yeah. boobs of you how much you've suffered. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So... Fucking that movie, dude. <laughs> yeah, that that movie just happened. Yeah. This movie apparently was uh, a big influence on the likes of Eli Roth, who liked it so much that whenever he did uh, um, Hostel, uh, mm-hmm. apparently uh, uh, Mikei Takashi is in that movie. Oh, is he? I didn't. I don't even remember that. Yeah, he's uh, he is one of the happy customers at the horrible torture hotel. Yeah, well, of course he is. Yeah, and uh, Quentin Tarantino also said that this movie was a major influence on him because you know, feet. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Like, oh man, so many feet. <laughs> oh man, I'm totally fucking putting that in a spank bank. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Uh, yeah and even um the the fucking dude in this movie is in kill bill volume one as um uh his his, uh his friend uh yoshikawa is uh some fucking asshole in kill bill volume one is he really oh that's great i think he's like the the second in command of the uh crazy samurai or whatever Mm -hmm. um yeah he's in there um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think okay. So, so my case for why the the sun is a major thing in this movie is mm-hmm. I think I think part of what makes this movie actually feminist and critical of toxic masculinity in Japan is that is that the son is a central figure in that this movie is about what his father is passing down to him. True. And and we've seen that like his son is already learning like shit lessons from his dad, and this this last thing is uh is like a a, a big fuck you to uh, all of the things that he's been doing. Um, I don't know. It it feels like I mean I get I get part of the criticism of uh, like why they made Asami the way that she is, but I I feel like 
I don't know. I feel like the movie portrays masculinity in such a ridiculously horrible light and puts such a strong attention on passing that down and the way that masculinity is uh, cyclical uh, in the way it's taught to young men that, I don't know, I think it's, I think it is at least uh, feminist in intention. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely critical of, you know, that, uh, form of Japanese toxic masculinity. I mean, it's, it, it's very much a critique of that. I think it, the, you know, like, uh, Yokohama is such a, you know, he's just such a stereotypical sleazy guy. He's completely jaded. Like he's, he's even able to kind of pick up on the fact that she might be no good just because he's women have no, almost no sway over him other than some sort of object to be possessed or, you know, to possess, or, you know, I mean, it's, there's a, there's a lot of that playing out. And then as, as the movie starts wrapping up and you see these, these fevered drug addled, you know, kind of scenes with, with uh, Aoyama, you realize, you know, that, wow, this, this guy's messed up. I mean, he's, you know, it's quite possible that he's, he's had affairs with his secretary, his housekeeper, you know, he's, you know, women are just like some 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 thing to be vanquished or something to own. Again, something to possess. He likes to think of himself as being more, you know, more advanced somehow than Yokohama. But he's essentially no better. Yeah. If anything, he's worse because he's trying to pretend like he's you know he's got some sort of you know there's some dignity about the way he takes advantage of women or something. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, he he definitely sees his own love as a higher calling. Yeah, I mean, and and they portray him like he's you know throughout the film as if he's a relatively nice guy, and then you know surprise surprise he's he's pretty much a douchebag. Yeah. yeah, and she's you know she really is she does come out as a victim. I think, you know, I mean, I I can understand the obvious, you know, I mean, it definitely makes sense to say that it's a a, a feminist message in the sense that, you know, she's she takes her revenge. I mean, she. She's been uh, mistreated, particularly by men, her entire life, and you know, instead of instead of continuing to be mistreated, she's decided, you know, she's going to put an end to it. Um, but at the same time, she's she's also reduced herself to being a monster, and so she's a she's a victim that she gets her revenge. But what kind of a victory is it really? Because she's she's lost her identity as a human. Essentially, she's become some sort of monster. Yeah, that's true. I don't. Do you? Are you convinced that this is uh, that her thing is revenge? I don't know that it's necessarily revenge. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's a good point because she's. It's it's more of of like a, maybe an attempt to try to. She almost has this weird idea of purity that was artificially imposed on her just by virtue of the torment that she went through in her childhood Mm -hmm. and and so her way of associating love is some sort of idealized combination of the way a child would see it which is why we keep seeing her as a child and an adult because she never really developed into an adult Mm -hmm. um and and the way that you know it's it's like this mix of romance and and sexuality but also this childlike idea that you know they're gonna love this person and only this person and no one else ever you know and she completely believes that in this bizarre way that isn't even realistic at all. Yeah, I, I kind of, I kind of felt like 
So, so the the fact that the the music director that she you know chopped up and kept in a bag, mm-hmm. the fact that she killed his lover kind of made it seem like that was her last crush, like right, like all of this chopping up and keeping is um, uh, like the way that she expresses love, possibly because you know the horrible stepfather slash ballet instructor you know expressed a really horrible mixture of of abuse sexually and uh physically like that could mean that like part of her own thing is her own expression of love as a, a physical and and sexual thing is like caught up in all of this and and her whole thing about like how he's kind of a shit guy wasn't as much her saying you're a piece of shit and now you have to pay, but more of a he needs to be, you know, like you you said, purified of his um, wayward path and mm-hmm. um, be fully realized and you know a slave to her basically. Yeah, yeah. She wanted to add true. him to her collection, I think. <laughs> right. But she, but she also says things like all men are the same and, you know, that yeah. kind of, you know, like she just assumes, you know, she's, she just expects to be disappointed by a man, but, it, but she's also desperate for somebody to love her in, in this way that she, you know, in her own weird way that doesn't really make any sense. Uh, but it may, you know, but it works for her, I guess. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, murderers are serial murderers. That's a common thing that some serial murders will do is, you know, they, they'll keep, you know, the bodies or parts of the bodies because they want that person to always be with them, Ugh. you know, because they, they always feel horribly empty and alone in this weird way that, that is very similar to what she's expressing. Mm-hmm. So if you think of it like that, she's, she's, you know, she's keeping them around because they can't, you know, they can't leave if it's, if he doesn't have his foot and the guy's completely dependent on her, then she's, she's got complete control of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. It's heavy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also like, um, so she's, she's a, her story about her life is untrustworthy. Like we don't know, we can't tell any of what she said, like what's true. So it, it even calls into the question, like, did her abusive stepfather, was he actually wheelchair bound or like was he actually wheelchair bound and didn't have feet when she met him or mm-hmm. did he at some point <laughs> get his feet chopped off by her like yeah did she so did weird. she render him in that condition yeah 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 or or was the fact that he didn't have his feet the thing that she's trying to replicate yeah that could be that as well so it's, it's kind of cool that in that he leaves it all open i mean it it can be it can be frustrating but i think he he gives you so much to chew on that it's, you know, and there's, there's so, there's so much madness to hang on to that. You don't, you don't walk out, walk away, you know, being plagued by those questions. They're, they're interesting to kind of ponder, but I think it's, you know, in this, in this instance, like the way that he handles this story, it, it works, you know, it's okay that you don't know the answer. Sometimes movies are painful when they do that. They just, it's like, they're trying to be clever and artistic. Well, we don't like to give it away. It's like, well, you don't want to give it away because you don't know how to tell a story. <laughs> we're looking at you intersect yeah so you just you just made it confusing because then people would think you were an artist yeah 
It's like you're not an artist, you're just a dolt. Yeah. Yeah. No, Looking at I you, would... Nate. Yeah. I, I do not doubt uh Mike Takashi's artistry. Like this is this is fucking fantastic. There's really, really great stuff in here. Yeah, I mean it's it's got a it's it's really got a lot going for it. I mean, it's well shot. The acting, you know, the performances are great. His direction is amazing. Uh, his visual sense is strong. The sound, you know, the way the story flows. I mean, it's 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 pretty much a masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, three weeks. That's insanity. I yeah. guess he just knew exactly what he wanted. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 crazy. Apparently, one of the ways that he was so prolific is he didn't worry about like writing his own scripts. He was like, "Yeah, I'll take whatever someone else is working on, and I'll direct <laughs> it. I'll make it fucking amazing." I'll drop some Takashi all over it. <laughs> you know, as you were, as you were talking about it and when I was watching, you know, as I watched it, I was thinking these things, you know, like just kind of trying to piece together, you know, how, I mean, anytime you're, you're watching a, a, a film where, you know, based on some story where it's like, you're, you're seeing it from the point of view of somebody who's clearly not the most reliable storyteller it just leaves so much open for the imagination. And maybe that was part of the reason why he intentionally, you know, kind of mixed things um, or, or maybe he, it, he intentionally mixed things up, you know, as far as timing and uh, meaning so that stuff, different ideas were overlapping to the point where you just weren't really sure what was imagined and what was, you know, what was really, you know, supposed to be happening or whatever, as far as like, weird drug sequences or just these weird kind of scenes scenes where there's like, you're jumping around in time and you know, she's, she's a child, she's seven years old and then she's a 24 year old adult back and forth and stuff. I mean, yep. I guess, I guess that was done on purpose to kind of, to kind of disorient. Yeah. I can't think of any specific scene though. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's intense. And it's, it's, um, thoroughly unsettling um and god that stuff that stuff where he started like superimposing his son's girlfriend into his thing it's just so so not okay yeah it's really love, dark yeah i love that that gave us that gave us super insight into his psyche because like up until that point it was never you know other than like hey son you did a good job but then it was like oh he's been he's been thinking about that too that's a that's a whole thing. <laughs> That's a whole other deal. And yeah. and here she's, I mean, she's almost like a character from a fable. I mean, you know, like she lives an impossible existence where she's just sitting on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, it's like she doesn't exist until he calls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah, it's, that's practically a supernatural thing. Um, but obviously that's not a supernatural story, but it, it, it just, there's there's things like that that are they they're presented as if they're real but it's it's ultimately pretty pretty surreal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's so weird like the wheelchair guy's death and even the existence of the um the dude in the bag those are mm-hmm. all like his fever dreams. Those are never actually confirmed to be things that actually exist. Right. But there's plenty of evidence in the movie that they do exist. You know, there's the the wire garrote and there's the the bag that she was going to put him in. But it, it's it's just it's so weird. It, it's very interesting. 
I love mm-hmm. this movie. This movie's great. <laughs> it really is. It's a lot of fun to watch, and I've seen it many times, and it just never gets any any worse. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, I mean, there there are points that I uh, like in rewatching this movie. There are parts where I'm like, I'm not looking forward to rewatching this, but then when they actually get here, like I'm I'm not eager for them to end either. It's just it's amazing, man. That shot of her like that like close up on his uh, on his foot when she's cutting through it is just. <laughs> That's real good. <laughs> it's good stuff. I mean, it's so perfectly visualized. It's amazing. And I I love the super uncomfortable detail that she like got like about halfway through cutting off his second foot before <laughs> she stops. So this dude's like God, so fucked. The way his hand is rapping on the floor as she's is tormenting him. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He did. I I'll commend him on doing tortured face real good. Like it wasn't fun to look at, but like he he certainly did look tortured. He sure did. That was brutal. He looked puffy and uncomfortable. <laughs> oh man, so, no joke. So John, uh, on a on a scale of zero through five, how would you rate this film? Uh, I, I'm going to give it a four and a half. All right. And the reason I'm not going to give it a five is just because I felt like maybe it was just the version of it that I saw, the transfer that I saw, but it, it, it's, it just looked a little too nineties for my taste (laughs) at times, like the haze filter and some of the, some of the things which may be, you know, kind of things that that are used more often in, in Japanese cinema. And maybe if I understood more about popular Japanese culture there, you know, there might be nods to things that you would pick up, you know, that we just don't know about. But, but having said that, I don't know about things like that and seeing like the hazy filter, like maybe that's a common thing in romance movies in Japan that they, they put are used to put these, you know, goofy, hazy filters. Um, so maybe he was riffing on that, but, maybe he was actually using it because it looked romantic, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm just going to waver on half a star for things like that. So what I'm hearing is you think that this movie is horribly chauvinist and you think it's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> if only they wouldn't have put that damn romance in there. I mean, the, the only... The the only woman in the film of consequence is is a raving psychotic. That's true. Murderous, just just is completely incapable of functioning in any way other than as some sort of monster. <laughs> um, but then again, it's it it ultimately seems fairly nihilistic because the main character is you know completely. I mean, he's worse. He's he's someone who just uses people. I mean, she. I was going to say at least. At least. Cuts them off. Yeah, she at least she <laughs> she at least vomits into a dog bowl for yeah, them. I mean, yeah, she at least doesn't leave them completely dismembered. Yeah, I mean, we have no, you know, we don't know about his story, why he became a misogynistic douchebag, but we, yeah. but because of the way the movie plays, you just assume it's attributed to the culture that they're in. Yeah. Um, whereas she's just she just plays as a victim. But I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm 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 completely ill-equipped to really comment on feminism, I guess, because I'm you know a dude, <laughs> and um, it would be interesting to 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 get some women's takes on this. Hint, hint. Uh, 
people who listen to the show tell us what you think yes please please tell us what you think about this movie especially if you are a like studi uh, st- uh, studi oh god yeah uh, if you're uh, a studi good <laughs> That's our fans. They're studies for no reason. If you're a, a gender studies student, uh, that would be like super helpful. I'd imagine there's probably some really good essays out there on this movie, but I don't know. I didn't. I don't have a JSTOR anymore. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Um, yeah, I would be. I would definitely be curious to hear how other people see this and and how they react to you know the the barrage of information that <laughs> that's being presented very stylistically but there's a lot to chew on yep absolutely so please do please let us know about that um for my part i gave this movie a, a five out of five i can find no fault with it it's uh it's incredible i i loved the cinematography i loved the the sound the color design uh like all the lighting all the acting, I couldn't find anything wrong with it anywhere. Um, I I loved the slow burn. I I appreciate the place it holds in horror history. It just it hit all the right notes for me. Uh, the only thing about it that I didn't like was the fact that I don't know more about it. So that means that it's <laughs> it's great. It's uh, one of the best. Yeah, it, it it is incredible. It's it's unique too. It's. Uh very much a Japanese story and it plays well, I think to a Western audience, at least one that's into, you know, into film. And, uh, but you know, it's, it's gained, it's gained quite a following. I think just among people that just kind of like horror movies in general, who really don't know anything about, you know, who aren't really familiar in any way with Japanese film. I mean, I know, I probably know more than the average American does about Japanese culture, but I'm certainly not like a Japanophile or anything like that. I think this film, because of how effective is it, it is at telling the story and obviously the the impact and the intensity of the action once it gets going is is impossible to deny, really. Absolutely. It's great. So if you, for some reason, didn't watch it and you listened to all this, you should still go watch it. You'll know all of the things, obviously, but it is it is worth beholding. It really is. Yeah, you got to see it for yourself. I mean, it's afterwards maybe think about what it must have taken to like put this idea together and then shoot it because it's got to be tough yeah yeah some of these shots are just it's just man (laughs) they got a really realistic human leg cutoff thing going on there too that was that had to have been a practical effect and it looked it looked great it looked super real it really looked it looked great and and the performances i mean she's just She's God. just incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why she got just a cheese ball career after this, but she kicks ass. Yeah. She, she is, she's, I mean, she is that character. <laughs> yeah. I am Which scared is, of her. Yeah. <laughs> like, but she's so slight and, you know, but then you're just like, oh yeah, she's like a living weapon. <laughs> <laughs> so John, if you had to pick one other Miike Takashi film that you would want to, uh, to recommend for other people to watch, what would it be? Wow. God, Just I mean, one. He's, I know he's had Just so many. One. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to. Don't say two. I, I won't say two. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, especially if, if, if you've seen this one and 
you know, you, you, you want to see something else from him just in case, you know, for some reason you're, you actually believe that this was a fluke, which makes no sense. But um, man, I would have to go with uh, probably Gozu. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something else. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to watch that. Cause I like, I saw some bits of it. I haven't seen the movie, but it looks really intense. <laughs> it's, it's very intense. And, and, and I, if you ask me on a different day, you know, I might say Ishii the Killer. Um, I love 13 Assassins, but I don't think it's his best film. Uh, but having said that, it's great. Yeah. I just like his extreme stuff because he's so good at it. He's really good at it. Yeah. I mean, and the happiness of the Katakuris is, is phenomenal. It's okay. so dark. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that movie. That's definitely a movie to uh, watch high. Wink, wink, 420, you guys out there. <laughs> Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Say no more. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, Blade of the Immortal is incredible. I don't think I've seen that. I, I, I know that he made that one, but I, I don't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen it. It's a, it's a samurai that cannot die no matter how chopped up his body gets. <laughs> his body just heals until he has killed 100 evil men. And oh, I have seen that. No movie. <laughs> oh, yes, I have seen that. It's phenomenal. It is great. His arms just keep getting chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, it's it's adapted from a manga, and there's like two different um, anime series on it, but like that live action film is just, is just amazing. Yeah, it, it is. It's really great. Yeah. It, what a great filmmaker, man. Yeah. Good, good job, dude. Good job. <laughs> Keep going. Like, I know he slowed down. I think now he only makes like two or three movies a year instead of six or <laughs> yeah. seven. Because, you know, he's nearing retirement. So, yeah, I'll slow down. Only three movies a year. Jesus. He makes he makes American movie making look like assholes. <laughs> it's just a bunch of babies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll make one movie every four years. And then I need a nap for two years. Yeah, I'll have to think about my next masterpiece. <laughs> In the meantime, this guy's shitting out, like, <laughs> shitting out these movies three at a time. Yeah, they're just all great. I, I haven't seen most of them, but I assume they're all great. <laughs> I know for There's got to be a dud in there, right? I'm sure. <laughs> I know for a while he was making a lot of made-for-TV movies, so, you know. Oh, wow. Some stuff in there. I'm sure there's stuff. I mean, I mean, the happiness of the Katakuras is so different from everything else. So he, he yeah. obviously experiments. I think he, I think he, maybe it's more common in Japanese cinema to kind of take work where you can get it, you know, and, and then, you know, you get the projects that you want. That's great, but you also you know if they they offer you work you take the work and i don't know again i don't know what the hell i'm talking about i don't i don't know <laughs> i know this movie kicked ass this movie kicked so much ass oh my god um again thank you ramon for uh suggesting this movie for us to watch that's a great excuse for us to watch it and to like kick it up into here where i'm excited to have seen it i'm excited to have reviewed it and i'm excited to hear what you our listeners think about this movie and think about the things that we've said about this movie to tell us 
what you think about this movie and what you think about what we've said about this movie, you can reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at LoathsomePod or at Facebook at LoathsomeThings. That's right. And we, we love to hear from you and uh, we'd love to hear your opinions on this movie, other movies, and, and recommendations for the future as well. Yeah. And uh, attach your college essay about this movie. Like, I'll, I'll read that. I will actually read that. I want to know... Uh, especially if it's research-based, I want to know like the actual like collegiate level stuff about this movie because I don't, and I'm a little bit lazy. There's a uh, horror film podcast that I might as well shout out because it's one of my favorite ones. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's two women in, um, in Canada. Oh and, yeah. Uh, it's called the faculty of horror. And I'm trying to remember, I want to say that they covered this film. It would certainly be right up their alley. Uh, but, but yeah, that I, I would be curious to see what they would have to say about it. Yeah. Um, because this is definitely something that, that they would spend and much time going into great academic detail, much more intelligent than we could ever dream of being, uh, <laughs> they do a great job. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're both like professors, right? Well, uh, one of them is the editor of, uh, Rue Morgue magazine. And uh, the other, I know she's an author. She wrote a book about the new French extremity movement, Ooh. the horror movement. You and, love saying um, that. It's great stuff. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure what else she does outside of that, but they both they both know their stuff uh, and they're fun to listen to because they, they really dig into, you know, like, like it is really an academic dive into the, into the movies they cover. Yeah. Okay. So and they, I, I and they know their stuff big time. So uh, it's uh, no, no, no. It's good. It's Faculty of Horror episode fifty for them is called Man Seeking Woman, and it's a review of Audition. So I would say after this, if you want to know more, go listen to them talk about that because I, I've I've listened to them and they're pretty great about stuff. Yeah, they're a lot of fun to listen to, um, and they, like I said, yeah, they know they know their stuff, and they're they're much more. I mean, they have a lot of fun talking about stuff, but they, they obviously have a pretty pretty learned take on film, whereas we, we're just kind of having fun. Yeah, just kind of making assholes of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, so something we're really good at. <laughs> good. We found our niche. Yeah, this is what the people want, John. <laughs> this is what the person want. <laughs> Ramon, you're welcome. <laughs> One listener. Winning. <laughs> oh, uh, anything else before we go, John? Before we let these no, nice people go about their business? No, I don't think so. Go If you haven't seen the movie, go see it. And, uh, and then join us next time where we eviscerate some other film. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Have a good day. Go watch horror movies. Don't be shitty. Bye.